Hey coaches, John Shackelford served 33 seasons as the head men's tennis coach and three seasons as director of tennis at the University of the South, Sewanee. During his tenure, he won 551 matches and 12 conference titles. In 2021, he was named as the director of athletics and continues to serve the Sewanee community, coaches, and student athletes. In this podcast, John and Dave discuss John's commitment to one university over 38 years, how John found ways to develop as a coach, the challenges of sustaining success over a long period of time, and advice for coaches with families. We hope you enjoy. John Shackelford, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Honored to be here. Yeah, yeah, we had uh, a little bit of time together in New York recently, and and uh, it dawned on me very quickly that we needed to have you on on the podcast. And so I'm really glad we could make it happen so quickly. And I've got a bunch of questions here for you. So you ready to dive in? Sounds good. Okay. So when you started your career as the head men's tennis coach at Suwannee, did you believe that you would still be at this institution nearly 40 years later? And I'm interested <laughs> in what are some of the factors that led you to such a commitment, especially in the world we live in now where the grass is always greener. Well, I, obviously, I, I really didn't at that time. Um, I was fortunate to have walked into a job um, coaching at UNC Asheville right out of college. And, uh, you know, that was an institution that was moving into Division One. But many of those jobs in those days were part-time jobs. I was a country club pro and, and coaching UNC Asheville in the evenings, really. Mm -hmm. um, and then Swanee offered this opportunity to come along as a full-time tennis coach, which seems like a dream to me at the time. But I thought very highly of myself, and I thought that surely after a year or two at Swanee, someone from the ACC or the SEC would just come gobble me up and think that I was the greatest tennis coach to come along. Um so I didn't have plans to stay here 40 years, but I, I don't think that I had the appreciation for what Division Three was at the time um, from having played and coached in, in Division One at, at, at both Wilmington and Asheville. Um, very oftentimes those players were, hey, coach, I need this. Hey, coach, I need that. And then after coaching a couple practices here in Swanee, the players were saying, hey, thank you. And, and I would say, thank you for what? Thank you for a great practice. <laughs> it was just a whole different mindset, really, of, of, of appreciation that that came over me. And, and then building relationships with those people, those students, um, who I am still very, very close to today. Um, beside that, Swanee is just an incredible place to live, incredible place to work, uh, great place to go to school. And so with all those factors, um, you know, very soon that we came here for my job, and uh, within a, a couple of months of that, the director of athletics was looking for a, a new women's tennis coach. And so uh, although my wife, Kanchi, had not thought about coaching prior to that, she took over the role and it was kind of like a duck to water. She loved it and, and has done great with it. And so for us to be able to share in our journey together and coach together, it just made sense that, that there's no better place in, in the world to live than Swanee for us. Yeah, amazing. Um... I'm I'm always interested when I speak with coaches, especially who who were doing it for a longer period of time, a few decades in, um, and we're still I think struggling with this a little bit even today. It's 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 how do coaches learn to be college coaches, and and I've tried to 
including this podcast, uh, hopefully help with coaches as they get started. And we're providing different programming now. But, you know, oftentimes you come out of college, you just do what your college coach did and you think that's the way to do it. And, and maybe uh, can be later to adopt your own philosophy and ways of doing things and, and understand there is a different way to do things. But how, how did you figure out how to do this job? What were some of those early lessons and, and kind of put you on this track uh, for many decades ahead of you at that point? Well, I think that, um, you know, one, I have what I, we laugh a lot about my personality around here. It's very intuitive. In other words, I'm not a guy who reads all the manuals before he makes a decision. I tend to go with my gut, which can often get me in trouble. But at the same time, I tend to try to analyze like, what do we need to do today? What, what do I feel like is most important? And then I go with my gut. And so I think that's probably guided me for most of my career. I was fortunate to have have come out of a different generation where we all grew up playing baseball, basketball, football teams, playing all the sports. And so in terms of copying others, I had a lot of different role models. And um, for me, one of, one of the primary things I tried to focus on in college tennis was making it a team sport, not an individual sport. And I think that that's really what the college players of today like the most about the sport, uh, how it changes from what they're used to in junior tennis to college tennis is that team aspect. And having played a lot of team sports, I think I had a pretty good idea about how to form a culture of a team and how to build those teams. And, and then clearly I think it's, it's just, um, you know, copying others and, and watching what they do and, and learning from them along the way. Mm. Um, I, I guess that's how I learned. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I know a lot of coaches, in, including myself, we would read a lot of books from coaches in other sports and try to learn from them and glean some lessons that, that, that you could then apply. But expanding on that question a little bit more, John, I'm interested in, in what ways you pushed yourself out of your comfort zone, especially early in your career. Because I think a lot of coaches coming in, again, as we talk about how they learn from their coach, they don't see everything that their coach is doing. They, they see them at practice. They see them at matches, you know, so, some events here and there, but they don't always know um, what they're doing administratively, what they're doing recruiting wise uh, and, and all, all the other tasks that go into being a, a successful head college coach. And so what were some of those things maybe early in your career you know, we all enjoy going to practice. We all love tennis. We love to compete and, and see our, our players do well. But were there any things you did that were like, oh, I'm not sure I really want to do that, but I know I need to do it in order to grow as a coach and grow my program? Uh, anything that comes to mind? Well, I, I think that that listening to the players was a very, very important lesson for me. There's a big transition from being a player to being a coach. As a player, I, I think I kept my philosophy fairly simple. If someone was better than me, then I wanted to practice harder than them. If they were returning my serve, I wanted to hit the serve faster. If they were more consistent than me, I just simply wanted to hit the ball in the court more times. And it was it was more focusing on how I made myself better. Um, and so I think I began my coaching career with that idea that you could just simply make the team practice hard and work hard, and that would work. That would be enough. But you have to learn as a coach, I think that so many different players respond in different ways. Is it the psychology that they need? Um, is it learning to relax? Is it learning to be motivated? 
Um, you know, is it strategy? Do we need to be able to, to, to have them be a little bit more analytical? Is it a fitness equation? And so I think learning to listen to them a little bit more. And, and again, I, I think I started with a more hands-off philosophy um, and I, I tried to watch others. One of my couple favorite coaches, one was, was Bob Hansen, who coached very successfully at UC Santa Cruz and Middlebury. And I was coaching against Bob one day and, and we were sitting on the same bench watching a match and he, he named out all three double scores, you know, with not only the set, but within the game simultaneously. And he was talking to people on all three courts and watching someone keep all that level of information in their head and be so engaged in every point. Um, and then Bob had his just his way about putting his hands on players. He put that big hand on their shoulder and tell them what they were doing. And, and, and that voice just seemed to help those players get better. So watching someone like that and trying to emulate, I think was always very, very important to me. You know, another a great role model I had to, to watch from was George Acker, uh, the famous coach from Kalamazoo College who did a, just an amazing job uh, coaching. And, and George is very different from the coaches of today. He was very, very old school. And, um, you know, his his philosophy was very, very simple and straightforward, uh, but involved those old school ideas like work hard, do things the right way, a, a very simple um, meat and potatoes kind of coaching philosophy that worked very, very well and led him to a, a several national championships. So, um, you know, I think that that's um, part of that equation. You know, when you talked about stepping out of your comfort zone, I would say that this a lesson that I learned late in my career came from Felix Mann, the, the young man who replaced me as head coach at Swanee. And um, for many, many years, my recruiting style was to focus on what had worked for me. And um, I talked awful lot about the academics at Swanee, the life of balance at Swanee, what this type of education could bring to a young person. And as Felix took over and began recruiting, he focused more and more of his conversations on just tennis and less on the academic experience at Swanee. And that surprised me. I, I didn't think that would work. I thought that that would be a mistake if we ended up with folks who, who were only coming to this institution just to be a member of a college tennis team. But what I, what I discovered and how wrong I was was that all of those people who were so hyper-focused and so passionate on their craft of tennis was that that meant they were also very, very focused on all the things they wanted to do. They, they wanted to do things the right way. And I think we ended up with better students, with more focused students, uh, with less distractions. And so I think that that's a big key for me is, is to continue to learn late in life. For sure. And, and what about the, as we're talking about recruiting um, the players listening to the players you even mentioned earlier when you when you first started and they're thanking you for for practice did you notice any changes through the decades with each passing generation were there significant changes that you noticed I mean a lot of coaches talk about this uh, is it real is it not real um, and, and if if so if you did notice those changes what were they and and how did you adapt or did you well, I, I don't want to be one of those those coaches who says, oh, remember the good days, how great they were, <laughs> um, that, because I, I do. I think college tennis and college athletics is getting better and better all the time. So I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying, um, that it was just better in the old days. But, you know, I, I told some student athletes the other day this story about buying a bicycle when I was a young man. 
and I was mowing uh, the lawn for a living around the neighborhood. And some people would pay me $5 or $10 to mow a lawn. And I went down to this hardware store and I would, I had a bicycle, a 10 speed bicycle that was on layaway. And I would put down my $5 or $7 or whatever I'd made that week. And I would did that all summer long until I'd paid off that bicycle. And I think that taught me uh, a great deal about commitment, dedication, about delayed gratification. And I think it's more difficult for this generation today to have that experience of delayed gratification. Mm. Um, you know, within seconds, Google can tell us anything. Within minutes, Amazon can uh, deliver a bicycle to your door and you can pay with it on your credit card. Right. And so I think that the, one of the biggest changes we see with today's generation is that lack of delayed gratification. And that's a, that's a, a valuable tool for a student athlete to have is to be able to understand you may not win today, but if you stick with us and work very, very hard, you may win tomorrow. And that's probably one of the dangers we face with the transfer portal today is that if you don't have immediate satisfaction, we look elsewhere for it. And that that's the scary part for me for this generation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with you know, the, the success that you've had over, over such a long period of time, Firstly, do you think it's harder to build a program or to sustain success? And then secondly, what are some keys to sustaining success over a long period of time? Um, well, I don't think it was har as hard in 1986 when I began in Division Three to build success as it might be today. And, and way back in 1986, there, there might have been 10 or 15 college coaches around the country in, in Division Three that were recruiting hard and building their programs. And so as a young man getting started, we, we were in the top 10 in the country within two years after getting started. And, and so that became very, very easy for me. And I'm not sure you could say that across the board, that it's easy for every young coach to do the same thing in today's world. Um, I think if you're going to sustain success, you have to think about the big picture. It's more than just about the tennis match, more than just about the next recruit, but you've got to think about how to maximize your facilities. You've got to think about how to nationalize your schedule, um, how to travel to interesting places that, that, that make it interesting for the student athletes to have a, a positive experience. You need to be at an institution that has strong academics and has a, a natural draw for those student athletes to want to attend that school. Um, and so I think is it's for an advice for for young coaches is simply if you're going to sustain success, think beyond just the team itself and think to the program and to the institution how you can help that. Um, there are a lot more challenges I think in in today's market in today's world in terms of the cost of a college education location, things like the transfer portal, um, things like the NIL. So definitely more challenges today. Um, so it may be more difficult to sustain success than it is to build success, would be my answer. And just along the lines of, of, again, success over a long period of time and maintaining that drive and motivation, was there, was there a, ever a period where you felt like you lost a little bit of motivation or, or, or drive? And, and if so, how did you regain that that fire in your belly to to push on and, and continue to su sustain that success? 
Well, you know, I think that that over the years, you you do definitely tend to analyze things differently. Um, you know, for me personally, as I grew in this profession, you tend to think in a larger, it's it's a little bit like uh, taking a helicopter ride up and looking down and, and seeing things from a different perspective. You know, one of the things that I tried to do over the years is we hosted either NCAA championships, ITA national indoor championships, regionals, was my focus was not just on the eight to 10 players that I was responsible for, but how could I better serve college tennis? And if we were hosting a national championship and we had three or 400 people coming uh, that I was responsible for, I wanted every one of those student athletes to have the best possible experience. Um, and does that necessarily make your team better? Or are you saying that you're losing a little bit of fire? That might be the case. Um, but I, I still found, you know, um, no matter what level you're coaching, no matter whether you're in a conference championship match or regular season match, whether you're coaching an All-American or you're, you're just down at number six singles watching a match, you know, that competitive fire when you're keeping score, you still have that nervousness in your gut for yourself and for your player. And, and um, I don't know, I think that's what, what makes us all keep coming back for more is that, is that little burn, burn in the belly mm -hmm. that you're looking for that's uh, exciting about competition. Mm -hmm. And so you've now in, in recent years transitioned to the position of director of athletics um, and, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, John, you've got, <laughs> You've got football, you've got basketball, you've got baseball. I think, you know, there there was a time where the football coach or basketball coach or baseball coach made that transition to becoming athletic director. I think those times have, have started to change and you've got a lot of administrators who don't necessarily have a background as a coach and, and are coming purely from an administrative or, or academic uh, perspective. And, and so... Why did they choose the the, the tennis coach uh, to be the athletic director there? What what was it about you and your resume and your background that they identified you as the person to lead the athletic department? <laughs> well, it, it it might just be that um, they they looked over in the corner and they saw this tennis coach that had been around for 35, 36 years. They saw the cobwebs forming and, and said, "We got to <laughs> shake them off that guy and give him something else to do." Um, but um, you know, I think that that sometimes for me, I think almost administration is almost a dirty word. Um, I don't I don't know that I ever wanted to sit behind a desk and push paper around. I think a better word is maybe leadership. Coaching is leadership. Being being a member of a team offers offers places for leadership, and so that's probably what attracted me most to to this this role is continuing to be a leader in this institution and the leader for this department and, and help focusing on not just winning in one sport, but for me to help all sports to, to be successful and to provide a good experience for our student athletes. You know, one of the things that I tell student athletes often is that I have two real hobbies outside of, outside of my, my, my role as a coach or an administrator. And I, I love to cook and I love to build things. I love carpentry. And um, but what I tell kids all the time is that there's no difference in cooking a meal or building a team. There's no no difference in me building a deck for a friend or building an apartment in, uh, for athletics. It's the same principles um, of putting pieces together, thinking through the process, working through that process. 
And so for me, it was a real natural change from moving from a, a coach into this role. And, and I, there's so many challenges that you face every day, just like a, a young tennis player playing a match. I, I love the opportunity to face those challenges. Mm. And, and, and John, you mentioned your willingness to, to host championships and, and tournaments outside of your, your coaching responsibilities. What were maybe some other projects that you took on um, during your time as a coach, uh, you know, on a voluntary basis that, again, may have helped give you the experience to, to jump into this role and have success? Well, in um, 2011, um, the Department of Education sent a letter to all colleges and universities across the United States. It was known as the Dear Colleague Letter. And what that letter asked was that, that uh, it was really from the Office of Civil Rights, um, and it was focused on sexual assault, sexual misconduct on college campuses, and it required that, that all colleges and universities across the country dealt with that on their own campus and not delegated it out, outside to outside law enforcement agencies, that the college campuses um, had to do investigations on their own campus and help with that. And I knew nothing about that subject at the time, but um, our vice chancellor, who was our president at the time, was John McArdle, and he came to me and he asked me to help in that role. And so it gave me an opportunity to, uh, I ran a task force for a couple of years, um, and then I ran a committee that, that tried to put in many of those recommendations onto campus to help with those issues. And so it was uh, really stepping outside of my college coaching and offering uh, the institution a different set of eyes on a problem. Mm. And John, around, you know, obviously one of the big roles as, as an athletic director is, is raising money for, for the entire athletic department. How did you maybe develop those skills or that acumen? Uh, was that something that came naturally or, or something that you really had to work on during your time as a college coach? Well, I, I don't know that any of us particularly like the idea of going to ask someone else for money. That's not the most appealing thing to, to say that's what you do for a living or that's what you need to do. What I have found in my role at Swanee is our alumni and our parents are so loyal and so dedicated to this place that they are eager to give and eager to make um, the experience for our students better. And so I don't know that I ever have to go out and ask anyone for money. What I really have to do is share my vision, share the vision of the university, um, and demonstrate to them how um, that makes this experience for student athletes better. And um, it's, it's really about building relationships with people and sharing our hopes and visions. And I think that um, people want to help and they want to provide gifts. And so that part's been easy, just just building relationships with people. And even if a coach does not have a desire to work in administration in any part of your career, and, and as you said, you, you didn't think you'd necessarily be in this position when you, you started your coaching career or well into your coaching career, but it is important that our coaches recognize the importance of, of having strong administrative skills and, and that... Uh, in order for their program to um, maybe be more relevant within the athletic department, their need to demonstrate to their associate athletic director, their athletic director, that they they manage all these kind of duties off the court as well as they do on the court. Do you have any advice as to 
you know, sometimes coaches can, oh, I'm just, I'm not very organized. And, you know, I, I, I missed this email or I didn't check my email or, or I didn't know this thing existed. Um, and, and if they're giving those responses to us, I'd imagine that's happening within their campus as well. And it doesn't always reflect well on, on them or, or their program. And, and so do you have advice as to how you would encourage coaches to develop some of their administrative skills and, and why it might be important? Well, I think the best advice I could give is, is you know, what, what's very easy for us all is to live in a silo. It's very, very easy to focus like I am a tennis coach and my whole job is to make this tennis program better. But in colleges and universities across the country, there are so many great things going on. And not only do you, do you need your student athletes out there doing community service projects or going to talks that the faculty are giving, uh, going to different programming that the university is doing across the, the campus, but the, but the coach needs to do that as well. You need to find out what's happening in, in the Office of Student Life. Go see the Dean of Students. Find out how you can help. Go listen to talks that the dean of the college may be giving or visiting professors might be giving. Um, I think that the more that you go out and see the big picture of the university and what they're trying to do and understand where your program fits into that mission, um, then not only are you lifting up your own program, but you're lifting up your own institution and you're lifting up the the experience and the life of those students. And, and that I think that that, that becomes leadership. And again, whether you tag that as administrative skills or not, I don't know. But I, I think building leadership is connecting with others. Yeah, no, thank you for the way you articulated that. Uh, that's that's excellent. And, and I hope our coaches take um, that advice to heart, especially younger coaches who, who are coming into this industry and just have a year or two under their belt. Um, so at our recent ITA awards weekend in New York, and, and you referenced your wife, Conchi earlier, you, you said uh, in your speech, among other things, and, and you gave an amazing speech, I was ready to run through a wall for you. So I, I, I know uh, it must have been fun uh, for your players to, to play for you. But um, you said she's a, uh, you know, along the lines of she's a far better coach. You can, you can say it. You can say she's a better coach than I yeah. <laughs> But what have you maybe learned from her through the years that that made you a better coach? Well, I think, first of all, people who who know Conchie and I well know how different people we are. Uh, maybe that's why, you know, we, we just uh, shared our 40th wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Gotcha. And maybe that's one of the reasons we've been able to be together so long is how different we are. Opposites tend to attract. Our players often joke that the difference in having me come to the court and coach them as opposed to having Conchie come to the court was I would give them this long winding metaphor, life is like whatever it happened to be on that particular day. And, and they were left to decide how that metaphor might help them win the match. And Conchie <laughs> was much more direct. She'd say, hit the damn ball low to their backhand and get to the net, you know? <laughs> and um, so I think that, 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 that I, I should get out of my own way sometimes and let, let uh, give some good direct advice on how to win the match on that particular moment. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that she probably wouldn't argue with me if the two of us said which one was a better player um, or which one was the better coach. And so sometimes I think when you're a, if you're a talented player, you tend to think, as I said earlier, that talent might carry the day. Yeah. Um, and I think the advantage sometimes for being a player who has to figure out how to win 
is that Conchi became very analytical and she learned to analyze her opponents and figure out how to break them down um, and that that would be the, the, the way to win. And um, I think her players know that she often talks more about the opponents than she talks about her own players. This is what's needed. And that's a weakness that I had that, um, that I learned from her and had to learn those analytical skills. I don't know that I ever got as good at it as she is. But particularly on a doubles court, I think she's really strong in that area. And, and those are the things that I've admired about watching her coach. Very and good. then I guess the last thing I would say about my wife is that, and um, is that, um, you know, passion carries the day. A lot of times we're in an argument, the person who's the most passionate is the one that comes out on top. And no one has ever accused my wife of not being extremely passionate about what she cares about. That's well, Stain, um, with with the family um, discussion here, you you do have four daughters with with Conchi, and and I know, again, you know, I I really created this podcast for for our young coaches. I'm glad that that more experienced coaches do listen to it, but just trying to give them um, some help as as they get going in 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 this industry. But even this morning, I spoke to a coach who has young kids and and is struggling with that balance, the challenges of the job, travel, um, you know, managing relationship with, with, with his wife, managing relationship with, with two young kids, uh, feeling guilty for being away, et cetera, all, all those feelings that, that we feel. Um, and so you've managed to, to do that successfully with, with four, uh, four young ladies. And so again, do you have any advice for how coaches can best manage their responsibilities as a coach and leader and also as um, a partner, a father, et cetera? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you should bring that question up to me this week. I, um, Jason Box, who is the head men's tennis coach at Swarthmore College in Pennsylvania, was uh, last year was the ITA National Coach of the Year, um, had a, has done an outstanding job building that program. Jason played for me, and uh, when he was a freshman in college, Conchie and I had our fourth daughter, Tessa, uh, who is now a senior member of our women's tennis team, and, and starting tomorrow, she'll be playing her fourth ITA tournament, and she was born when Jason was playing his first, and, um, and Jason had a little girl uh, one month ago, and so we're, we're kind of sharing that ride again, that he he's starting where we're where I left off all those years ago. And he, he had an opportunity to watch me raise my four daughters. Um, Felix Mann, the, the, the coach who I mentioned earlier, who's taken my place as a great head coach here at Swanee, he has a little girl due uh, in December, his first, and uh, he's going to be facing those same challenges. So it, it, this is something that's very, very important to me. And, and um, I guess I would begin by saying that nothing in this world is more important than your children. And um, nothing is more important than your family. You have to give all to them. And I, I would say, you know, you asked me if there was ever a time in my coaching career that, that maybe the, the fire burned less. And I, I'm sure that my players over the years might accuse me of saying coach was, was so focused on his own children that, that maybe he forgot us once in a while. And I hope that that's not the case, that I didn't forget my job. But I'll never apologize for loving my daughters and caring about them more than anything else. In this little small town that, that we've had, Conchie and I have been very fortunate that, that we brought our kids along for the ride and they grew up on the sidelines of tennis courts watching a million matches and practices. 
Um, you have to do your best to schedule that so it doesn't interfere with your actual coaching and the time you spend helping those young people that you're responsible for. Um, but I, I can remember vividly walking up and down the, the stairs of the Kalamazoo Stadium while my wife was coaching on the court and I'm carrying two little girls around in my arms while waiting for their mom while she's finishing her match. And then I would hand them off and she'd do the same while I was coaching. So it's a balancing act, but I think our children have lear loved their relationship with our players. They've loved the relationship with tennis and being able to watch all those matches and for us to watch them grow and compete. And my daughter, Sadie, played college tennis up at Middlebury College. And in fact, we got to watch her play in the NCAA championship on those exact same courts um, at, at Kalamazoo College. So just a thrilling ride for us to share that with our families along the way. Yeah. Well, John, we're going to move into some rapid fire questions. Uh, is what's what's the one thing you miss most about coaching? Well, I'll give you two quick answers and rapid fire. One is is every day I used to spend with my wife, and now I spend a lot of days behind this desk, so I miss that, mm -hmm. um, and I miss the tears. I mean, there were many many times when my players would achieve something special, and I would be standing on the court with tears filling in my eyes, and I miss that. Mm. Is uh, there any one book, conversation, quote that has impacted your career as a leader to date? Uh, right before I came to Swanee, I had a conversation with Tom Parham, who's a great college coach. And he won a lot of NAI national championships at Atlantic Christian College, now known as Barton College in Wilson, North Carolina. And, and I asked Tom what he thought I should do about coming to Swanee. And he said, Shaq, you need to find a place where you can be successful. It doesn't matter whether you win a Division I national championship at Chapel Hill or whether you win a title at Swanee in, in Division Three. It's winning is winning. And, and it really led me to understand once I got here, I've had great success um, winning here, and it felt just the same. And when I've won a middle school girls basketball championship coaching my daughters, it's still winning, and it's a lot of fun. Who is your favorite college tennis player of all time, not from one of the teams you've coached? Uh, Tom Morris, who played for Coach Parham at Atlantic Christian, was my boss when I first uh, got into college tennis and, and started working uh, at a country club as an assistant pro. And Tom and I used to play nightly matches every night, and whoever won the set, had to, whoever lost the set, had to buy dinner for the other one. And so he taught me a lot about competition and, and, and how to be myself and compete. I love Tom. And then I'm going to give a shout out to Anna Christina Perez of Emory University. She's a current fifth year senior on their team. And I think that if, if every student athlete in America could, could emulate what a great sport she is, how friendly and happy she is to her opponents, to visiting coaches, She's a joy for me. I'll see her tomorrow morning at the ITA, and, and I know she'll give me a big welcome, as she always does. And, and I think that's what college tennis should be all about. Best decade for college tennis and why? The next one. Tennis keeps getting better and better every year. Um, those old days that I talk about, um, they're gone. It's getting better. And, and these new coaches have better ideas. They're better trained. They're better coaches. And whatever happens next, it's going to keep growing, getting better. And I'm proud to be part of it. Love that answer. What is one rule change that you think could make college tennis even more appealing, whether it's to players, fans, coaches? 
Well, I don't think your office would be happy to hear me about this because the ITA is continually progressing forward. And as an old man, I, I tend to look backwards. Um, I miss playing two out of three sets for doubles. I miss regular scoring over no ad. Um, I don't mind a match lasting six and a half hours. Those are some of my best stories, how long it lasted. I know we make a lot of decisions today based on what's best for the appeal of the fan and someone watching it on streaming. But as an athlete, I wanted to stay out there all day long. I couldn't get enough. And so if I made a rule change, we'd be going backwards. Yeah, I nearly didn't come play college tennis from Ireland because they told me they played a pro set rather than two out of three. I was like, what yeah. the hell is a pro set? Yeah. But anyway, we won't go there. Um, if you could only give one piece of advice to one of your daughters who indicated they wanted to be a successful college tennis coach like her parents, what would it be? You know, I, I think it's just bring yourself to the job. I, I know hundreds and hundreds of college coaches who do it a different way and do it very, very well. Um, and I think each of us, as I said, you know, my wife and I are very different people. And we've shared this job side by side for 40 years, but we've done it very differently. And I think you bring yourself to the job. And, and not only does that help you get satisfaction from that job, but it helps uh, your, your the, what's special about coaching is that relationship you have with your player. And when you bring yourself and you bring that truth to the job, that's your best way of, of leading them towards success and understanding about what's important. John, I think that's a, a great place to, to leave it. Thank you for all your service to college tennis, your continued service to college tennis. We greatly appreciate it here at the ITA, and it's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit more. So thank you. Well, enjoyed the conversation very much, and uh, good luck to you. We'll see you soon.